1: Brothers and sisters, you know that you are sinners. And so you confess your sins to God every week. And hopefully, what you learn here in worship follows you home. And you confess your sins to God every day. You know you need to confess. But do you want to confess? As parents, many of you know that this is what we want for our children. We know that we can make them confess. But do they want to confess? So even people who confess their sins regularly can tend to treat the act of confession like vegetables. Vegetables may not taste good, but we know they get us to the good part of the meal, and so we eat them. True confession is painful, we think, but at least it leads to forgiveness, and we know that's good. But when we think this way, we tend to hurry through confession the same way we hurry through the Brussels sprouts trying to get to the good stuff. Instead of truly searching our hearts, we settle on confessing the same sins every week, like children who will eat any vegetable as long as it's corn. That sort of confession isn't very nourishing. I'm sure that many of you have had something like this experience when you finally learned that fresh broccoli could be pan-roasted with olive oil rather than poured out of a bag and boiled into a mushy paste. You find that you actually start to appreciate it. You like it. When you prepare your heart differently for the act of confessing your sins, you find that confession, too, becomes good. Good. So here's a better way to prepare your heart for confession. Remember that confession doesn't make you feel guilty. Sin makes you feel guilty. But confession is where you deal honestly with sin. Confession isn't painful, sin is painful. Confession is part of the process of healing. Confession isn't embarrassing. Sin is embarrassing, but confession is where we start to ask God for a covering for our shame. Confession is honesty. Confession is obedience. Confession is humility. Confession is faith. Confession is healing. And confession is freedom. Since confession is all these things, we see that it really is good. And since confession is that good, how much better is the free forgiveness that God promises to all those who confess their sins. So in that spirit, I invite all who are willing and able to please kneel before the Lord and let us make our confession for God.
2: makes you feel secure? Perhaps I should begin by asking, how would you define secure and security? The dictionary defines security in terms of three kinds of freedom. First of all, freedom from danger, and then freedom from anxiety, and finally freedom from want or deprivation, freedom from need. Security brings to mind a picture of warmth and comfort, safety, and stability. To be secure is to be free from the risk of loss, to have the assurance that all is well, without and within. I'm sure that every person here this morning would rather be secure than insecure, whether it's in the areas of health or physical comfort or material things or relationships and self-confidence. Just this past week, feelings of insecurity came as we watched in the news about what was taking place with North Korea. For many of us, it took us back to the days of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Many parallels were being drawn. And suddenly, we begin to ask questions. We begin to question our stability. We wonder, could a missile actually reach us here in Michigan? Psalm 30 speaks about security in the life of David. David, as you know, was the shepherd that God chose and anointed to be king of Israel. He authored most of the Psalms, which reveal the whole range of human emotion, positive and negative, and that's why we love them so. And Psalm 30 has some important applications for you and me today, here in 2017. So the first thing I want to explore with you this morning is the danger of false security. The danger of false security. David tells us that there was a point in his life where he was feeling very secure. Look with me at verse 6. He says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. You see, there was a time in David's life where things were going well. And you and I both know that the longer things go well the more we're inclined to say, as David said, I will never be shaken. The New American Standard translation teaches us a bit more about David's situation. It says, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. What would it require for you to feel that same confidence? David had enjoyed prosperity for some time, and he grew secure and even overconfident in that prosperity and it led him to believe that it would continue on forever and so that's why he would say I will never be shaken have you ever felt the same way things go well for a time in a particular area maybe it's our finances or maybe it's our health or our relationships maybe it's the work setting or the school setting and we begin to assume that things will just naturally continue on that way we find ourselves settling into a particular routine and assume that that routine will continue. We begin to feel safe and secure, perhaps even invincible in moments. But notice David's words here, when I felt secure. One of the reasons that this psalm is in the Bible is to teach us that there's a vast difference between feeling secure and actually being secure. But what's so dangerous about false security? First of all, false security is fleeting. Matthew Henry commented on verse 6 saying, When we feel most secure, we often are in reality least safe. The remainder of the Psalms tells us that David was suddenly plunged into tremendous insecurity, he became seriously ill. Looking back on that time, David acknowledges in verse two that the Lord healed him. And then in verse three, he says, "O oh Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit." Sounds to me like David was on the brink of death. So in a very short time, he went from thinking, "I will never be shaken," to thinking, "Gosh, I guess this is it. Changes can and do take us by surprise. A car runs a red light, and suddenly lives are changed forever. You've always planned on having children, but after marrying you discover it's not possible. A loved one is taken in death, and nothing is the same. Or a buyout or reorganization or restructuring leaves you without your job. A serious illness transforms your routine and freedom into a whole new world. Where your appointment calendar is filled with doctor's visits and tests and hospital stays. What happens when a sudden change takes you by surprise? The result is insecurity. Inwardly, you find yourself longing for the way things used to be, for a return somehow to the status quo. Well, the second thing about false security is that it, it is an illusion. Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. James gave us a warning when he said, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead of saying, Tomorrow we will do this, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You see, no matter how healthy you feel, it's an illusion to feel invincible. You can't be confident that you will never have a heart attack or a stroke or get cancer. You can do your best to try to prevent it through good diet and exercise. In fact, it's a God-given responsibility to be good stewards of the bodies that he's given to us. But you cannot guarantee yourself a life of good health. I received a call at five this morning. Someone in our congregation fell in the middle of the night. Brain hemorrhage, not expected to make it through the day. A sudden change. One of our loving directors, her husband found out six weeks ago that he, well, he had had a, a cough. And he went in and found out that he had an aggressive cancer. Five weeks later, he was absent from the body and with the Lord. Our health our health is fragile. No matter how well we take care of our bodies, we cannot guarantee ourselves a life of good health. Likewise, no matter how secure you feel in your finances, it's an illusion to feel invincible. Even if you work hard and set aside savings and purchase insurance and diversify your investments, there's still no absolute assurance of financial security. The economy fluctuates job market suddenly changes people get burned in investment scams the stock market surprises us i can't help but go back to the world trade center as we remembered it before the attacks in two thousand one who would have ever thought that those two buildings in new york city would be anything but a permanent part of the skyline they were excavated to bedrock ten years it took to build them Foundations went 70 feet down. It occupied 10 million square feet of space. It was designed to, uh, and built to withstand the impact of a jetliner, so it was said. It withstood the 1993 bombing that took place in the parking area. But as we watched in utter disbelief, the invincible suddenly disappeared before our eyes. No, false security is an illusion. But third, false security leads to self-reliance rather than reliance on God. It leads to self-reliance rather than reliance on God. David's words are so honest here in verse 6. He said, I said in my prosperity I will never be moved. When I felt secure, I said I will never be shaken. Back in Deuteronomy 8, the Lord warned his people saying, When you have eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases, and all you have is multiplied, what a great description of security. But it says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You see, it was only later, it was only in hindsight, that David wrote the words of verse 7 in our psalm when he said, O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. In his prosperity, in his self-reliance, David became forgetful of just who it was that made his mountain stand firm. That's the danger of false security. When we feel secure in the things of this world, we are in danger of being insecure in that which matters most our relationship with God. But God reminded David few things get our attention quicker than the stripping of our health. And the Lord can also strip us of other forms of self reliance, our job harmony in a relationship, finances, whatever it is that we're relying on instead of him. Well, the second thing that our psalm addresses that I want to mention this morning is the need for insecurity. There's a need for insecurity. Psalm 30 teaches us that insecurity can actually be a good thing. After all, when do we actively seek our security in God? it's when our earthly security is shaken. When we are insecure in some of the necessities of life and safety, we turn to the Lord. That's what David did. In verse 8, he says, To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord I cried for mercy. Losing his health caused him to look to God. And then in verse 9, he said, What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. When do you feel insecure? You know, the Apostle Paul went on three long missionary journeys. He brought the gospel to Europe. In his writings, he gives us a list of situations and conditions that caused him to be insecure. He mentions hardships, difficulties, weaknesses, insults, persecutions. But Paul found insecurity to be a good thing. Why? Because when he found himself in situations that made him feel insecure, he turned to the Lord. Let's just look at one of those times. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, he writes We do not want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. That's present day Turkey. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But then the next verse says, But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. When Paul found himself in situations that made him feel insecure, he turned to God. Is that what you do? When Paul reached the end of his own resources, his insecurity led him to the infinite resources of God. Well, finally, let's look at the source of true and lasting security. Where is true and lasting security to be found? The Bible tells us from cover to cover. It's found in God alone. Let's let's just remain with Paul for a moment before we go back to David. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we find the secret to Paul's security and strength. You remember the setting? He'd been given a vision caught up into the heavens, and God gives to him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from getting puffed up and proud. And three times Paul then asked the Lord to take that away. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh, the thorn in his side was. Actually, I think that's a good thing because it keeps it general enough that we can turn to this passage over and over again when we hit tough times. But we do know that three times, Paul asked the Lord to take it away, to heal him. And three times, the Lord answered, no, I'm not going to heal you. But then he says, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response was to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How could Paul delight in such insecurity? Was it that he found some kind of twisted pleasure in encountering pain? No. It was that he found the insecurity to be beneficial to him because when he reached the end of his own resources, his insecurity led him to God and his infinite resources. He grew to understand that God does his best work on the stage of our weakness. And to dip into the infinite resources of God added a whole new dimension to his life. With God's resources, the very thing that overwhelmed him was suddenly manageable. The fear was replaced by peace, and confidence, the despair was replaced by hope. And Paul learned from personal experience that when he was weak, then he was strong. As Edith Schaefer once said, when I am insecure in the things of this world, then I experience the reality of my security in the Lord. Perhaps you remember back in August of 2003, I realize that's 14 years ago, there was a widespread power outage that began on Thursday afternoon and it ended up with a shortage of power in the northeast that included Michigan big part of it was up all the way from here to New York parts of Canada uh, so that there were 45 million people without power here in northern USA and another uh, another 15 million there in Canada and when that happens the foremost thing on millions of people's minds was security. We came out of it pretty well in Brighton even though Michigan was hit. And I don't know to be honest with you what happened here in Howell, but back where where we were in Brighton we had power for the most part. But security quickly became finding a place to fill up your gas tank. And we stressed out where to buy gasoline, especially once the television and the radio announced that it was available out in Livingston County. But for those who lost power and then water, it meant the inconvenience of facing the heat without the usual resources. And, of course, the question of how long. How long could we keep the fridge and the freezer closed and know that the food wouldn't spoil? When would things return to normal? Where would we find food, gasoline, ice? How about batteries? Some people had generators, others were looking to rent them, but quickly those were rented out. So then became the need to find dry ice. I remember seeing an aerial view of I-96 on Friday afternoon from Telegraph Road all the way out to Livingston County, was like a parking lot, as people were heading west to find security by acquiring what they needed. And then on a very different level, For those in New York City who had experienced firsthand the terror of 9-11, they found themselves uh, wondering if the power outage was the work of a terrorist group, wondering what terrible thing might come in the midst of all of that, what would happen in the next even minutes, walking down the dark stairways of skyscrapers and out into the streets. Perhaps you saw on the news the images of people literally just hundreds and hundreds of them walking across the bridges out of New York City because it was too hot to stay without power. One man, an older man, who had descended the stairs of the World Trade Center two years previously, found himself again descending 63 flights in the dark. Can you imagine what was foremost in his mind? There was a little girl who had to face the power outage all alone. She was caught in her apartment elevator for several hours in the dark until she was rescued. So where do you find security? Some people look for it in a gas station or a grocery store. Others searched for it on the radio, listening in the dark for news that the wait would soon be over. For the little girl in that elevator, she longed for the security of simply connecting with another human being. A soothing voice, a comforting touch, a hand held out to rescue her for that man descending all those stairs. He longed for the security of seeing daylight again and being away from that building. Millions of people, all that energy focused on finding a temporary security and a return to stability. How much more then should we be searching for lasting security that only God can give? Think about it. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He alone can feed and satisfy our spirits. He alone gives the peace that only comes from being reconciled to him and having our sins forgiven. I appreciated the time that we took this morning to just be reminded of what confession of our sins is about, that it is a positive thing in our lives. God alone gives us the joy of being connected to him and the assurance that nothing can separate us from his love. Where is true lasting security to be found? David tells us over and over again, in God alone. It's woven throughout Psalm 30. He says, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pits. Then in verse 5, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Verse 7, O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. And verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. The writer to the Hebrews gives us a great word picture for the security that we can have in God. He says, We have this hope in Christ as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. Philip Hughes said, Our hope in Christ guarantees our safety. Whereas the ship's anchor goes down to the ocean bed, the Christian is anchored to God Himself. That's what true security is being anchored to God Himself, trusting Him for our entire security. Saying from our heart, as the psalmist said in Psalm 73, My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. Back in 1991, People Magazine chronicled the story of a retired couple by the name of Ken and Jean Cheney. On March 1st, the Cheneys made a routine car trip from their home in Mariposa County, California, to Fresno that was 60 miles away. They wanted to clear up a tax question. But on the way, they got lost after making a wrong turn. And since it was early March, they never imagined that they would run into snow, but eventually they skidded into a snowdrift in the Sierra Nevadas, and they couldn't get out. A snowstorm with 10-foot-high drifts trapped them in their Thunderbird for the next 18 days. Jean kept a diary on scraps of paper in the backs of envelopes. I want to share a portion of that diary with you. Her first entry, We began to realize we were on a road that is not maintained during the winter. Truly a miracle if anyone comes by. We spent the night singing hymns, quoting Bible verses, and catnapping. We would run the heater for about five minutes every couple of hours. We have no idea what lies ahead. So here we are, completely and utterly in God's hand. What better place to be? The next entry, the third day, and so far we are not hungry found two little packs of jelly and a stick of gum in the glove compartment. We're saving them. We reach out the window and eat snow. When I feel hysteria rising up in me, I just start praising the Lord and talking to him, and the serenity comes. What a loving and kind Savior we have. Your dad and I are having such a good time in the Lord. We realize not a single soul knows where we are but God. And like I said, who better to know? Monday, March 4th. We're wondering if anyone has missed us yet. We thought maybe there would be helicopters or snowmobiles out looking. March 6th, Wednesday. This will be our seventh night here. The gas is all gone, so no more heat. We've eaten one little packet of jelly between us, roll-aids and Tic Tacs, quite a feast. March 12th, a drink of water for me will never go unappreciated again and a bite of food, any kind. Today is the first day that I have noticed any weakness. I love you all. Another entry. Kids, I cannot find the dome light. I'm writing by glove compartment light. Dad went to the Lord at 7.30 this evening, March 18th. It was so peaceful I I didn't even know that he left. The last thing I heard him say was thank the Lord. I think I'll be with him soon so much to say and so little time but I cannot see bye, I love you. Oswald Chambers once said faith never knows where it's being led but it knows and loves the one who is leaving. It was eight weeks before the Chaneys were found on May 1st after a spring thaw. Their six children had searched the roads and chartered a helicopter but the snowdrifts had hidden the car. As you hear those words, though, from Jean's diary, I'm sure that the Chinese had had many years of finding their security in the Lord as they faced difficulties and hardships. Their final days are a testimony to that. Now, you can come away from that story in two ways. On the one hand, you can say, what kind of God would say no to this sweet old couple's simple request to be rescued? Or you can hear it as an incredible testimony that the presence of God is bigger and more powerful than any obstacle we will face, even death. You and I know that not everyone has such a great faith as the Cheneys. But the one thing we have in common with them is that our greatest need is to look to God for our security, to find our ultimate security in Him. Wherever you are this morning, whatever your hardship, if God was enough for the Cheneys, if God was enough for Paul and for David, he certainly can be enough for you in whatever insecurity that you face. His grace is sufficient. As David said in Psalm eighteen thirty-two: it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can find real, lasting security in you. Forgive us for all the many times that we look elsewhere to find security. Help us to look to you, to find you faithful, in whatever our circumstances may be. In Jesus' name,
3: God may have gone to sleep on us, or at least his words are unintelligible to us. Unintelligible in the same way that, like, if you're like me, sitting on the couch with two kids on either side of you, your words just begin to blur together as you, as you fight sleep. So if God isn't silent, at least his words seem unintelligible, un- unclear to us. But the Bible makes it clear that, in Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 121, My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So we hear that the Bible that the Lord never sleeps nor slumbers. He is always awake. He's always vigilant for us. That is so that he can watch out for you, like the prodigal father who lavished his returning son with precious things. He killed the fatted calf, made a signet ring for him, put a robe on him, and sent out special guest invitations. It was a time for a feast. Christ wasn't sleeping. God wasn't sleeping. If you have doubts about God's favor towards you or your participation in the body of Christ, this is the place, at the Lord's table, to lay those doubts aside. Jesus paved the way for you to have full communion with God and with men. The barrier of sin has been removed. The invitation of welcome has been extended. Our Lord is not sleeping. He has been preparing a feast for you. It's invited to this table are all those who have been baptized and are under authority of Christ, His body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine together, we are acknowledging that we are sinners. We are without hope except for the sovereign mercy of God and that we are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. Come and welcome this is his body broken for us let's pray
0: thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County if you would like further information about anything in this recording the Bible about Christ Church of Livingston County or wish to make any other related inquiry please feel free to contact us through our website ChristKirkMI.com That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.